is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Now this wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, please note with me, confusion and every evil thing are there. Here's the contrast. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word and for this night. Bless those with youth ministry and children's ministry. And we just ask for your hand upon them. And Lord, that our hearts would be close to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. James, the half-brother of Jesus, starts this chapter out in the context of what we're about to get into. This wisdom section comes from this. Verse 1. He says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. That is the context of what we're going to get into. And last week, he went into taming the tongue, the most dangerous thing on planet Earth. You thought they were nuclear weapons. You thought that it was socialism. You thought it was Marxism. You thought whatever. No, the greatest danger to humanity is the tongue and what people can do with that. And we saw that last week. What happens to somebody like Karl Marx or Adolf Hitler or Stalin or Charles Darwin or the modern philosophizers, right? And what they say and what they spout and let alone the media today. And so uh, the tongue is a very dangerous thing. But again, Uh, James says it's a beautiful thing as well because we can praise the Lord, amen? We can can fall on our our knees and our faces before God as David and say, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. That's wonderful. Our mouth says that. We can confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All good, right? Comes out of the tongue. And yet, we can yell at the kids on the way home. James says that. Or we can fight with the wife or the husband on the way home. Didn't you hear what he said? You know, none of you ever do this, right? You never like, did you hear what he said today or last night? Shape up, you know, kind of thing. The tongue is amazing, isn't it? It can build up and it can tear down. Well, now we get into this section. Verse 13, and it is tied together, and we'll tie it together in a minute. Verse 13 says, who is wise? Now, this first verse is really amazing. You, you could just read this and then go, and it's like, we're all at Camp Arrowwood. I want to read this verse, and everybody go find a, a rock on the property and pray. And just think about this verse. It's very powerful. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct 
that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, wisdom was very important to the Jewish people. They realized that it wasn't enough to have knowledge, but they needed wisdom to be able to apply that knowledge correctly. Again, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Amen? You know it's coming. But wisdom knows not to put it into a fruit salad. All right, I'm going to leave that one just simmer for a little bit. Oh, see how that works? This idea of wisdom for us as a believer living in the world that we live in is important because there are two types of wisdom. And James has already said to us that people will know that we are a believer, that we have faith in God by our works. And now he says to us that they will also know that we are a believer by the wisdom we show in our daily life. Amen? Listen, there are a lot, and I don't mean this in a really bad, there are a lot of dumb people doing a lot of dumb things on planet Earth who supposedly have a lot of degrees and who are supposed to be the smart ones. And you look at it and you go, I I don't really, I'm not a genius, but I can figure out that that's wrong. And we're going to see this difference between earthly wisdom and knowledge that and knowledge and wisdom that comes from God. Again, we all know people who are very intelligent, perhaps geniuses, but they can't do this the simplest of tasks. Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And through the, through the Proverbs, Solomon makes the... And by the way, do you not find how funny it is that the guy who claims to get wisdom the most at the end of his life, is the dumbest because he doesn't use his own advice and he goes after the foreign women and the foreign gods and you're like, come on, guy, didn't you read what you wrote down? He has 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's not smart. Think about the greeting cards you got to write and the mother-in-laws. That's not wisdom. And so James continues to exhort the people in the assembly who wanted to be the teachers of the word. That's how we started. Again, it wasn't enough just to stand before the people and say words, but you must have something to say and back that up. We'll see all of that tonight. This is where spiritual wisdom comes in. You see, knowledge enables us to take things apart, but wisdom enables us to put things together and relate God's truth to our daily life. And let me just say this right away, so we just get it out of the way. There are theologians that can break down the Bible better than I, but they can't stand up here and apply it to your life. They've got all the knowledge. They can tell you, All of the times in the Bible that this is mentioned in this Greek and that Greek and that Hebrew and how that ties to this and that, but they can't bring it to the level that we need for our lives. And it's important as a teacher to be able to show you 
where God's word will apply into my life and into those areas. I mean, you've been in a, a, a message before, you've been in church before, where somebody stands in a pulpit and they said something for 45 minutes and you left and you go, I don't know what he said. I mean, he had a, it looked good, his hair was good. He said a lot of words, Greek, this and that, but when I hit the car door, I, it wasn't applicable to my life. And James says, hey, you got to be careful. Not everybody can do that. And so we need God's wisdom that enables us to be not only teachers, but also preachers of God's word. So in these next couple of verses, James is going to contrast the difference between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. When he speaks about wisdom, he is not thinking about how much knowledge a man has, but how he lives his life from day to day. That's the application. Again, it's not the possession of knowledge, but the proper application of a, that which counts. And again, we have the ultimate portrayal of that. We have Jesus as the ultimate one that has wisdom and understanding. He has the greatest knowledge, and he used that wisdom in every situation. You, you read the Gospels, and Jesus comes up to somebody, or he's, he's having a dialogue with someone, and you're like, that's genius. How did he do that? Uh, this is free. He's God. So it's easy for him. But he used the proper uh, wisdom and knowledge in the balance of that. He could see the situation, he took in the knowledge of the situation, and then he used heavenly wisdom, never earthly wisdom, to help the situation out. So, wisdom is not, and I love uh, what one commentator said, he said, wisdom is not measured by degrees, but by deeds. That's what James tells us in this section. Wisdom is not measured by degrees, but by deeds. It's not a matter of acquiring truth in lectures, but of applying truth to life. Now, I, I'm going to speak a couple of times from my own personal experience and my own personal dangers that I have as a pastor and a teacher, and this is one of them. I can just get up here and give you facts and history and knowledge and everything, and you're like, wow. That's wonderful. And where does he get those shirts? <laughs> but I have to be careful that what I give out is coming from the Lord. And, and by the way, if you've been here at any time, you'll see this happen. I'll be teaching about something, and all of a sudden, I turn left or I turn right. And you're like, where is he going there? And I'm telling you, that is God directing, because by, at the end of the service, service, I have someone come up and say, I don't know uh, who else that was for, but that was directly towards me. Thank you. I needed that. God was speaking to me through that point. Those are not in my notes. They are just God saying, I need you to focus in on this section. Again, real wisdom and understanding will show our lives, he's going to say, by our good conduct. True wisdom is the evidence, as we're going to see, by a meek manner. Let's take a look at this verse again. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
Let him show by good conduct that his works are done with the meekness of wisdom. So, I want you to circle or highlight that word show. Because that's what he's wanting us to understand. He wants us to to see and to understand our wisdom that we have from God should be shown in our conduct in our life. It should be able to be seen by other people. Everybody got that? It's the same thing that he did in chapter 2 with our works. Remember, works don't save us, but once we are saved, they are the proof that we are saved. Amen? It's the same thing here, right? Knowledge doesn't save us. But once we are saved and we have knowledge, then the wisdom that we get from our Heavenly Father plays out in our life, and then you talk to somebody, and they go, that's brilliant, and you're like, it's not from me. Do you see that? And by the way, you better be quick to say that it's not from you. It's from God. I say that to people all the time as they leave. Thank you for doing that or saying that. I'm like, I'm just the mouthpiece. I'm just one donkey up here serving the Lord. We need to be quick to not take credit for the Heavenly Father's use of our tongue. Because remember, we're still on that tongue. We are the instrument. We are the scalpel. God is the surgeon. He often uses us to get and help people in their areas of need. So therefore, we must praise God for all that he does in our lives and through us. And I might add, this is what is exciting about being a follower of Jesus and getting into the game and not just being a pew sitter, but letting God use you because it's amazing to see people's lives transform by what we are doing. It's very exciting to see people come in and have chains broken, addictions broken by Jesus Christ. And that we just get a little, we're a part of that. He doesn't have to do that. He could use much more efficient angels who don't complain. But he chooses to use us in our frailty and, <laughs> dare I say, a lot in our stupidity, in our failures. He uses us. And what he says in verse 13, well, that's a lot for one verse, isn't it? He says, show it. Show and tell. You remember show and tell? Remember uh, if you brought in the family pet that you weren't supposed to and you hid it in your book bag? Oh, no one else did that? <laughs> show and tell. It was something that was important to you, something very exciting, and you're six or seven years old, and you want to show everyone. James says, listen, you got to let people see the wisdom that comes from God because it transforms life. And when it goes out, it won't return void. When we use God's word to help people in their life, they get transformed. Because I sometimes I wish we could all just have one of those old-fashioned revival testimony times. Amen? Amen? We'll put a tent outside in a microphone, and we'll all line up, and we'll go through and do a testimony of what God did through somebody else. Somebody else came to you, shared with you. 
helped you in your life. Not just salvation, but through your walk as a believer. And that comes from heavenly wisdom. The knowledge of a situation, they take in the information, and then the Holy Spirit throws it through your noggin, and it comes out, right, your mouth, and you go, where did that verse come from? How did I know that? He says, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Remember, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is control. It was said that uh, the Greeks used the word meek by once a a horse was broken. Do you get that? Once a horse was broken and now it was tame, they used that same idea of meekness, that it it was strength under control. And so we use wisdom and we control that by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. All right, well, let's move ahead, I guess, into the next verse. (laughs) He says, but if you have bitter envy, so he's going to make the contrast now between worldly and then we'll get to heavenly in a minute. But we start out with worldly, more worldly verses here. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. And so James says the worldly wise man is characterized by bitter envy and selfish ambition in his heart and in his mind. His one passion in life is to advance his own interest. He's jealous of any competitors or he is ruthless in dealing with the competition. He is proud of his wisdom and that, he has, that it brought him this great success. But James says that isn't wisdom at all. Such boasting, James says, is empty and stupid and foolish. We're going to see tonight, man, the world is filled with knowledge and worldly wisdom, but it doesn't mean that it's right and correct and from God. Listen, he says here, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, the measure of what is going on in your life is this. Am I envious of what's going on or am I, or am I content in what God is doing in my life? Are you able to sit in service or sit in ministry and see someone else prospering and you don't go, man, why isn't that happening in my life? Why isn't my marriage like that? Why aren't my kids obedient? And so on and so forth. Are you self-seeking as well? That you treat people only in a way that will benefit you and when it no longer benefits you, you toss them to the curbs? You see, that's what the world does. And as a believer, we shouldn't do that. He says, but do not boast, excuse me, and lie against the truth. Guys, we live in a time where mankind lies against the truth. I know, I know what you're thinking. That doesn't happen. We don't live in that world. We live in a world of, of, of absolute truth. Governments never lie to us. Science is always right. We don't live in that world, do we? Again, we live in a time where mankind lies against the truth. 
Even when shown facts and data, people dismiss that. You ever sat with somebody or a coworker or a family member and you're like, look, it's right here. These are the numbers right there. And they're like, what numbers? I don't believe that at all. But it's from the same people that said in the beginning, this was the, uh, here it is. No, I don't believe that. But God is a creator and he created the heavens and the earth and it's in perfect order. No, I don't believe that. I believe that we came from a rock or a UFO. Let me tell you a couple of truths and lies that are in our modern world. You see, the truth is there are two genders. The lie is there is whatever you want it to be. Oh, we're going to get better. That was just coming out of the gate for all the Olympic stuff going on. <laughs> Crazy. I, I couldn't make up what's happening today if I tried. If you said 10 years ago, hey, in 10 years... Write out a bunch of things you think society is going to get to. You would never be right here, right now, would you? You're like, we have advanced, even five years ago. All right, let me get back to my list. So the truth is there's only two genders. The truth is abortion is murder. And the lie is it's my body yet and I can do with what I want. It's just tissue. That's the lie. The truth is photo ID helps keep elections honest. Well, you didn't think I was going to go there. I've been waiting. I've been storing it up. <laughs> the lie is minorities can't get an ID even though you need an ID to get on a plane or to buy Sudafed or to drive. This hit me a while ago. I was in the store trying to get some Sudafed, and they're like, where's your ID? And I'm like, it's Sudafed. But you got to show ID to get Sudafed to get on a plane. But they would tell you that that's all racist because you can't. <laughs> the truth is, there is no idea of social, social justice found in the Bible. The lie is that Jesus was compassionate and loving towards anyone and accepting all, and who are we to judge? Now, the first part of that is right about Jesus. And remember, a lie has a little bit of truth in it. Remember that? Just enough to suck you in. <laughs> Jesus was loving and he was compassionate, amen? That's, we love, uh, yes. I love that. But he expected people to stop sinning. And he expected people to change. He expected people not to stay in their same state. So yes, he was loving and compassionate. But he didn't allow people to just go on with their lifestyle. However they wanted. There was a right way and a standard of truth. And that truth was based on his word. And we can't determine which one of those we like or don't like depending on what century we are living in. Amen? You don't get to uh, have a little uh, 
God's word buffet. Like, I, I like that salvation part. I don't love that love your neighbor. I'm going to put that back. That giving, I'll let someone else do that. See that? You can't do that. You either believe all of it or none of it. Paul said that you're either guilt. If you want to go by God's law from the Old Testament, Paul says, he says, if you want to do that, you have to fulfill all of them. You can't just pick and choose. You're either guilty of one or that just throws it all out. One sidelines us. Again, Jesus expected us to change. He expects us to change by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. The lie is, and the lie is in the church, that you can stay the way that you are. You cannot. I don't know how anybody can be in a church, especially one that takes you through the Bible like we do, and we will we'll get to your sin at some point. That's the thing about going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, all 66 books. We're going to get to your sin eventually. And you're going to have to deal with that with the Lord. Deep breathing. You see, the world is looking for truth. This is what saddens me about the church right now. People are hungry for the truth. But even when they step into churches today, they can't find it. You see, the world is not looking for a hip kind of church that looks like the world or an infomercial. There's a church locally here that's advertising on a radio station, not ours. And I've heard several of the ads lately. Nowhere does it talk about the Bible or truth in the ad. It doesn't mention anything about that. The ad sounds more like a social environment rather than the house of truth or God's holy word. Guys, people don't need another church that wants to look and sound like the world. It needs truth. James says, wisdom from on high brings truth. And those who are worldly deny that truth. Wisdom says, you'll never be like the world, so don't even try. Jesus said, if they hate me, they will hate you, and no one is above his master. Again, this is just some of my pet peeves that I air on a Wednesday or Sunday. I cannot stand when churches want to be loved by the world. It's not going to happen. Well, it will if you water it down so much that no one knows that the difference between your church and a social club because they don't hear somebody say, you want to you come to a church that teaches the truth and teaches the Bible, God's holy word that will set you free? Whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. Where do I get that from? I don't get that from... Eh, this relationship thing, I get it from his word. The relationship thing is after the word. All right, where's my hanky tonight? <laughs> he says, do not boast and lie against the truth. See, Tom, I told you I was going to, it wasn't going into chapter four. 
He says, this wisdom, earthly wisdom, notice, does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So, James says, hey, where does this, where does this uh, idea of man's wisdom come from? This wisdom, it comes from below. The believer, I don't know, you can see this in here, James makes the correlation, but the believer has three enemies of, uh, of our life all the time, three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Listen, you take one of those out, it doesn't work, especially the flesh. <laughs> you take the flesh out of the equation, it doesn't matter, but the believer always is going to have an issue with these three, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in terms that James says, it says they're earthly, sensual, and devil-ish. Even in Christian service, it's possible to be bitterly jealous of other workers, other ministries, and seek a prominent place for oneself to try to stand out. Help, let me help you. That's not our goal, is to try to stand out in, in, in the ministry of the Lord. It is to be faithful servants of God. I was listening to an amazing radio station today, here locally, 101.5 FM. And again, uh, Pastor Tony Clark nailing it. He says, you know, we call ourselves servants of God. But how, how do you react when somebody treats you like a servant? You're a servant of the Most High God. How do you react when somebody treats you like a servant? Okay, then. James calls this false wisdom earthly. He calls it sensual, and he calls it demonic. Notice there is a downward progression in these three adjectives. Number one, earthly means that this wisdom is not from heaven, but it is from the earth. That was kind of easy, wasn't it? Earthly means it's from here. It's man-based. Sensual means that it's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit but it is man's lower nature. You ever wondered or, or even thought of not only wondering, but why everything um, that is pushed to man is from the sensual portion. It goes to man's base um, kind of car, carnality. Pretty much all the ads are man's, it's feeding into his flesh sensual. And lastly, demonic, it means that it stoops to the actions that resemble the behavior of demons rather than men. So that at the end of the day, the wisdom from this earth, are you ready for it? James just pulls no punches. He says it's demonic. Listen to that. Let me make that statement. I don't want anybody to be unclear or send me an email. The wisdom of this world is demonic. James says that the wisdom from above is is we're going to see as pure and peaceable, but it's demonic. He continues, he says, for where envy and self-seeking exists, listen, confusion and every evil thing are there. So the fruit of wisdom is plain. This, this is the result of earthly wisdom. The result is you get confusion and every evil thing. The wisdom of the world, the flesh, and the devil may be able to accomplish things, but 
always with the ultimate fruit of confusion and every... Did you hear that? The devil is able to accomplish things. Man is able to accomplish things. But at the end of it, let me paraphrase, he just mucks it up. And then it's confusion. You're like, I don't get it. That's right. Because it's man-based. <laughs> I'm going to give you an example that I threw in like five minutes before I got up here because I always read the news before I come up here just to make sure uh, that I'm stocked up on the insanity of the world. And this popped up, and I've been wanting to talk about this for years and decades since I fled this state. California and power and electric cars. Ron's dissertation. It'll only be four hours. No, it's real short. I want to make this point about man's wisdom and then confusion. Amen? It's real short. Give me a minute. So, California closed down most of their so-called polluting power generation plants. The reason why I say so-called uh, polluting is because United States of America has the cleanest power-producing generating plants in the world. We have the cleanest air in the world. We have the cleanest water. Now, in some areas, it might be bad. But overall, we have regulations. I'll tell you why. We used to go to Mexico three times a year to do emissions work. And the town that we were in, Rosarito Beach, there was a coal-fired power plant on the beach. And every time we went down there, we were sick by all of the pollutants coming in. As soon as we crossed the border, it was amazing. We could breathe again. So th there is a fallacy. I want everyone to hear this because this man-made global warming thing. We in this country have the cleanest technology. Why are we the ones being punished? That's a message for another day. So, California decided to close down most of its so-called polluting power generations plant, trying to go to all renewable forms of power. They have a, you know, a good motive here, I guess. That's what they're thinking. But as we will see today, the power grid can't handle the, the demand. That's what popped up today. So they're having a heat wave there, right? Hot. You know what hot means. We turn on the air. Well, when we turn on the air, and this is just free information, uh, power spikes, and it's power spikes across the entire state. Well, if you, if you took out several power plants out of the power generation, you only have now a certain amount of power. But it gets better. They also pushed for a huge demand in electric cars. They are one of the states that wants to get totally rid of gasoline uh, powered cars in their state. Again, one of the reasons why I left. Uh, for their purposes, they think it seems good in not put producing pollution. The problem is, those electric cars need electricity. Now, I know that we're all common sense people in here, and I'm preaching to the choir. Oh, it gets better. So, they need electricity. 
but you reduce the amount of power that you can produce, and then you put a greater load on the system by adding things that need to be plugged in and charged. Result? Confusion in every evil thing. Listen, I am not judging any politician's motive in California because I don't want to be banned from YouTube from this message. But I want you to think about it. They had this great idea. But at the end of the day, man's so-called wisdom doesn't play out practically. And James says, yeah, that's how it works. Man's wisdom, it sounds good, but at the end, it just brings confusion. Well, let's get to us. Verse 17. So that was it. I got it done. But the wisdom that is from above. So where does it come from, church? Does it come from you? No. Does it come from you once you've been saved for a while? You've done great study of God's work and you've plowed through all of Charles Spurgeon's sermons and Martin Luther's and you've dug deep. Does it come from you? Oh, but some think that it does. If I do enough. No, it comes from above and maybe circle the word above notice it's first pure and the idea of pure is it's holy that this comes from God and it is pure going down to you but then it's peaceable notice what James is telling us here he's saying the believer who is actively having godly wisdom in his life and showing it is going to be someone that is marked by peace. What is peace? It is the end of hostile, uh, hostility between two forces. I'm no longer having a hostility between my heavenly father because it was settled upon the cross. And so now I have a peace. You know what's fun about being a believer? And there's a whole list, right? But one of them is having the peace that passes all understanding during an event that no one else understands why you're having peace and they look at you like you're a weirdo. And you're like, I am a weirdo. I'm a Jesus freak. And they, they don't get that. They don't know what it's like to walk into their boss's office, get fired and say, Have a great day. And say, Lord, I'm your kid. This is your problem. Let's figure this out together. Okay. You go into a doctor's office. They say X, Y, and Z is your diagnosis. You go, Doc, can we pray right now? What for? I don't think you're saved, so let's pray. (laughs) Or whatever. They don't get that. Peace is such a big part of the life of a believer. What's the next one? Gentle. Just being gentle with others. Now, I know we have all said this, that we are all under construction. Amen? I mean, you look at that love your neighbor part, you're like, I'm working on that. I'm like up to 5%. (laughs) I mean, if you'd see my neighbors, you'd know, right? But a lot of us, too, on that gentle part, we're just, sometimes we're just gruff and we're like bowls in a china closet. And we kind of plow our way into Christianity sometimes and we say this and we say that 
and it's not, it doesn't really come out so good, amen? You have a great heart. God knows your heart. You're trying to do the right thing, but you just muck it all up because you're not gentle as our Savior. How well did he deal with the woman with the issue of blood? How did he deal with Mary and Martha? <laughs> I mean, the way that Jesus dealt with people was always gentle, except when he went off on the Pharisees, and I can't wait to watch that video. He said "There's first pure, then peaceable, but then gentle. Notice, willing to yield. That means to compromise. Not compromise your values, but if somebody wants to argue something, you don't just sit there and argue the whole, you're like, can we just agree to just, by the way, you can't say that in this country anymore. Can we just agree to just, though that's gone. Like you, you that's what you believe, but I, I like to share my opinion. No, you don't get to share your opinion. You know, this is only our opinion, and this is the opinion of, of the planet. Your opinion, that, don't quarrel about it. Just, all right. When it comes to doctrinal issues, those are important issues. I'm listening, and because I'm going up to the property all the time, I'm listening to Eric Metaxas' book on Martin Luther. That book is huge. I think the audio is like a 1,000 hours or something. It just keeps going and going. But Martin Luther, through his life, I mean, I'm learning so much about a man who, in the beginning, didn't want to destroy what he was a part of, but was forced to, I think, by, by God, to be that one to do that. And, um, you know, from time to time, he would yield on things that I was thinking, Martin, why, why would you yield on that thing? Man, he knew his Bible. Willing to yield. Sometimes it's okay to just let it go. Not a big deal. How about full of mercy? We say this all the time here at Calvary Chapel, Myrtle Beach. You love mercy, but why don't you give it to others? We love to get it. Oftentimes, we don't like to give it out. We get it, but not give it out. Notice, full of mercy and good fruits. Again, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. The idea of without uh, partiality is this. Not showing favoritism to be impartial in our treatment of others. And, and I heard it said this way, no matter who approaches you, are they all on common ground in your eyes? Rich or poor, famous? If somebody was at the door, you didn't know them from Adam, and you're talking to them, but then Ted Cruz walks in, do you treat them the same? You see, James says, it doesn't matter who they are. You don't show partiality. And he already said that with the rich and the poor. You, you, you show partiality to the rich guy when he comes in, and you put him in the front, and you tell the poor guy, hey, uh, go get a shower and get some other work clothes. There's my boy. <clears throat> Do we show partiality? And then lastly, he says, without hypocrisy. Is it sincere and genuine? It does not pretend to be other than it is actually is. And we know what the hypocritus word is. That's the Greek for the actor. In the Greek world, they would have an actor on stage and he would have the different masks. By the way, they figured out really quickly that 
um, you could have less actors and less payroll if you had more mass. So you just have one actor doing the whole show. And so they would put on different mass. But there's another word that was used that the Greeks and the Romans used. And it was a word sincerity or sincere for that word without hypocrisy. And the word sincere, and you've heard me say this a couple of times if you've been here at any length of time, it's wonderful. Sincere means without wax. Well, that doesn't mean anything to Americans unless you know what what without wax means. Now, if you were a sculptor, and we know that the Greeks and the Romans loved their sculpture, they loved to have, remember, they didn't have cameras, (laughs) and they really didn't have paintings that we know of paintings, right? And so they would have Julius Caesar, and they would, he would sit there, and the guy would carve out Julius Caesar. I I don't even know how long that took, but he had to sit there, and he'd They'd chisel them all out. Well, if somebody was paying an artist to do something famous, some statue, some, you know, of a family member or something, and think about it, the guy's like, I'm almost finished. I got this last ear to do. And he's doing it, and then... (laughs) Ear flies off. Lands in his... I have worked on this thing for six months. What do I do? Well, he looks down. He sees a little granite dust. He takes some wax from the candle. He mixes it together. He puts that ear on. Got it. The problem is, in the Roman and Greek world, in the Mediterranean, it gets hot. So you can imagine they bring in the family member. Maybe it's Uncle Bob, right? And there he is. He's out there in the sun. They're all excited. But it's a 100-degree day. And then the ear just turns a little bit and starts falling off. Or the nose, right? It would give a new meaning to the word, his nose is running. That's it tonight. That's all I got. So listen, when when someone would come and get their statue, their, you know, their bust of their family member, the carver, the master would say, without wax. And everyone would know that that is sincerely made. The Greeks knew that. And they tied that word, that phrase, that idea with hypocrisy. James says, that without wax, without hiding something, that should be from our Heavenly Father, and it should be a part of our lives. Lastly, verse 18, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. The right on living, that's what righteousness means, right on living is sown in peace by those who make peace. Can't you hear James hearing his half-brother? Blessed are the peacemakers. He hears that. That's right. My brother, he was talking about peace, sowing in righteousness. 
This is what are we sowing to? James says, are we sowing to the world's idea of wisdom? Are we sowing to God's idea of wisdom? I say this to end. Pray for me and pray for the leadership of this church. It is always easier to do it the earthly way. Have you figured that out? That's the easy way. What? We'll just do it that way. That's not God's way unless God directs us to do that specific task. But oftentimes we are trying to find the way out rather than God saying, I'd just rather have you simmer for a while and have that dependence upon me. Okay, look, we don't like that at all. We just want to have it done. It's like the ear that fell off. Lord, that ear fell off. What do I do now? Well, see that block of unchiseled granite? Start over. We don't like to hear that at all. Lord, you don't know how long I worked on that person. You don't know how I worked on that relationship or that situation. Lord, you don't have a... Start over and do it my way this time. <laughs> Woo! That, I, I don't mean to end that way, but how oh, that hurts, doesn't it? Read ahead. <laughs> I just end that way. Just read ahead. Warring against worldliness. Again, James continues this idea of us. We got to be careful about worldliness. And he will... I, I, maybe I shouldn't tell you what's coming ahead each, each week because you may not want to come. So read ahead anyway, chapter 4 and chapter 10 for Revelation on Sunday. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. We thank you for your servant James, Lord, his heart, Lord. Just those things that flooded back into his mind, being reminded of Jesus living in his, in his household seeing his half-brother and seeing how he dealt with people, Lord, with loving kindness. We thank you, Lord, for his heart that he brings the reality of our lives right in front of our face. So, Lord, thank you that we rely upon what is heavenly and not what is earthly. In Jesus' name, amen.